Blog Talk Radio. family. Once again, we're coming to you live from the Eastern Radio Show Studio in St. Augustine, Florida, actually in the World Golf Village. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. And to all the listeners around the world, we say thanks for listening in. Chuck? Hello, Eastern family and friends, as our producer said. Uh, it's great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright. I'm filling in for Jim Hart, who's uh, not with us tonight. He, hopefully, he's coming back home from Martha's Vineyard, where his winter home is, down in West Palm Beach. Be safe, Jim. I'm coming to you live from my home in the village of Florida, where the weather is a balmy 75 degrees, and it's raining right now. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You've truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become the Eastern Airlines International radio show with over 50 countries listening in. Hello, Poland, Mongolia, China, India, Thailand, Ecuador, Colombia, Iran, Turkey, all of Europe, and most of Asia, just to name a few, who tune in with us regularly. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during our broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you have to do is call 213-816-1611 and say hello and talk to us on the air live every Monday evening. We can identify with many countries around the world who listen in with their blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out, not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern Radio Show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to our broadcast? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. 
Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits, 213-816-1611. By the way, tell your friends all about us, and our membership is growing. We now have 1,025 Listeners, boy, that is really great to have that. Don't forget, you can listen to any of our 430 Monday night broadcasts and our 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. We're over 500 episodes now, and from the Eastern Files and Eastern Old Time Radio Series. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capabilities of filtering out background noises. I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get our Flight 431 in the air. Tower Blur, 
the best I can and go there in my mind. So I close my eyes, imagine I'm there, hide and seek musical chairs, hot summer night and the cool winter snow from once upon a long time ago I smile as I look back on roads I've crossed traveling down memory lane but without all of those that I loved and lost life is not the same For all the good times I can recall To all I've loved God bless you all The happiest moments That I'll ever know Were once upon A long time ago Uh, George Jennings sent this to us last week, and I think it would fit in with our popcorn of things worthy to read on our radio show, and I hope it will bring a chuckle or two. Most of us over 60, mercy, well over 60, we were homeschooled, whether we knew it or not, in many ways. And here are a few things some of us remember, and remember it well, and I sure do. Number one, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. <laughs> Number two, my mother taught me religion. You better pray that will come out of the carpet. <laughs> Number three, my father taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you in the middle of next week. <laughs> and I think he did. Number four, my father taught me logic because I said so. That's why. And my mother taught me more logic. If you fall out of that swing, break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. <laughs> My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear your clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> I'm not kidding. My father taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. He did. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me a contortorism. I've never heard of that word before. But if you just look at the dirt on the back of your neck, I guess that would do something. My mother taught me about stamina. You sit there until all that spinach is gone, and I mean it. My mother taught me about weather. This room of yours looked like a tornado went through it. Number 12, my mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> My father taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> no Number 14. Yeah. My mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. I heard that one a lot. My mother taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who have wonderful 
turns like you do. Wonderful turns like you do. I believe that. Number 16, my mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till we get home. My mother told me about receiving. You're going to get it from your daddy when he gets home. <laughs> my mother taught me about medical science. If you don't, I love this one. If you don't stop crossing cross your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way. <laughs> my mother taught me EST. Put on your switch your sweater on. Don't you think I know when you're cold? I'm not sure I believe in that one. My father, my father taught me about humor. When the lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. <laughs> my mother taught me how to be an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. <laughs> my mother taught me genetics. You're just like your father. <laughs> Man. My mother taught me about my my mother taught me about my roots. Shut that door behind you. You think you were born in a barn? <laughs> oh, and my mother taught me wisdom. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. And here's the last one. My father taught me about justice. One thing you, you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. <laughs> well, some of this, some of this is accurate, but the last one I would agree. They turned out better. Well, I want to first say thank you, George Jen, for sending that in. That's great, George. Oh, boy, that was great. Thank you. That's because he heard them all. (laughs) I did hear some of them. (laughs) Me too. You were a hard act to follow, Jim. You know, during our last Thursday's broadcast, we did uh, some songs by Merle Haggard. Neil found one that that, uh, we all, Dorothy, Neil, and I agreed we need to play this song more often in our regular Monday night broadcast. Neil has it on the turntable now to play. So see uh, how you guys like it. Perhaps we can give Mr. Lawrence Welk a little rest for a while. After all, he's been with us for nearly nine years. (laughs) Mr. Producer, how about Merle Haggard and Silver Wings? Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you Where? 
They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring in Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight I think we should give it a chance. I kind of like it. I I think we should. I'm all for it. What do you say? Give Lawrence Wilk a little break. Absolutely. (laughs) Jim Holder, what do you think? I like anything about Merle Haggard. Anytime, (laughs) anyplace, anywhere. Well, we're talking about the song and the fact that it's all about... Oh, okay. Okay. I I like it. He's saying it. I like it. (laughs) <laughs> Sign off with it. <laughs> okay. Silver we'll wings and duck hawks. <laughs> yep, we'll have to tell Neil that we all agree this would be our ending song every time. Give him, give poor old uh, uh, friend of ours a little break. Lawrence Welk deserves it. Mighty fine, mighty fine. Well, we read this speech delivered by Captain Eddie Rickenbacker during a Thursday afternoon broadcast a few weeks ago. It was on from the Eastern Files we broadcast on Thursday at 3.30 p.m., along with old-time radio. The captain delivered the speech at the First Wings Club at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City way back in March of 1944. How many of you folks heard that? Eddie Rickenbacker speech back then. Well, I was uh, yeah. seven years old. I was only three years you old. <laughs> You're going to hear it tonight. Okay. okay. Neil, go okay. right ahead. Okay. You give us this speech. We're dying to hear it. All right. I Here love we go. It. Fighting Men and Fighting Fronts by Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. According to the program for this, the first annual dinner of the Wings Club, I am to speak to you about fighting men and fighting fronts. 
That is a broad subject, and I'm going to interpret it in the broadest meaning. Namely, that a man has always had to fight on every front of progress. I need not tell you about the pyramid of material produced by the brain and the brawn of aircraft and designers, engineers, and workers, because a great many of you are part of that army of production. Instead, I'm going to talk about the battle that must be fought and won in order that America may advance into the new horizons of world importance and be a factor in creating that the stability of peace and prosperity. If only we could look beyond the curtain of the future, we would see a thrilling and stimulating picture in the field of air transportation. Since transportation is one of the man's most important spheres of activity, there isn't a single dream dealing with the coming conquest of time and space that can be branded too fantastic, too unpractical, or too daring. The forward march of science has just begun. It is possible that many engineering ideas now being poo-pooed as idle dreams may become accepted as established facts. We have no way of gauging the future unless perhaps we use the yardstick of the past. Therefore, in order to appreciate what many may have happened on this earth in the span of a century, let us turn back the hands of the clock. Let us travel down the corridors of time with the speed of light from, from 1944 to the year 1844, one century ago. In 1844, over the first telegram, telegraph line in the world that ran between Baltimore and Washington, Samuel Morse sent the first message that ever went over a telegraph wire. It consisted of these four words, What hath God wrought? Few people at that time took the telegraph or the message seriously. They didn't believe that only 14 years later the first telegraph cable would be completed across the Atlantic Ocean. In 1844, the lamps of the world were lit by whale oil, and the cumbersome engines of the world were lubricated by whale grease because the miracle of petroleum did not begin until 1859 when Drake drilled the first oil well. And just think, the first electric light did not gleam on Broadway until 1880. Today, the networks of iron rails and ribbons of concrete that make up our hundreds of thousands of miles of railroads and highways are accepted as a matter of course. Neither gasoline buggies, flying machines, nor horseless trolley cars were dreamt about in those days. Not yet did the men of those times think they were quite up to date as some of us do today. They had much to learn, and so have we. 
I read in the newspaper the other day, I read in the newspaper the other day, how a Russian scientist has discovered a serum which may tend to uh, overcome old age fatigue so the human beings may eventually live to be 150 years old. But my own thought is that man has reached expendable old age when he is too old to dream. Because time has proven that dreams are the substance out of which progress is made. Thus the limitations of the future are the limitations of the human mind. They are also the limitations that will hold back the progress of flight. Man has two major ways of geographical measurement. One is the measurement of distance, namely the gap between two given points. The other is a yardstick of time, namely how long it takes to travel between two given points. Man cannot shorten a straight line between New York and San Francisco, but he can shorten the time it takes to travel that line. Thus, whenever man increases his speed of travel on the globe, he shrinks the size of the globe in terms of time. In other words, our concept of distance changes with our speed of travel. This is the air age, but as yet we have not reached even the noon hour of aviation. On the contrary, the sun is barely above the horizon in the dawn of human flight. We have just started. We have just begun to fly. We no longer think in terms of miles, but hours and minutes. So when we speak of the age of flight, our thinking must keep up with, yes, even go ahead of the great procession of air transportation that is just beyond the horizon. We must learn to visualize the earth as banded not only by the unseen lines of longitude and latitude, but surrounded as well by the comprehensive but invisible network of global airways that link the continents, the countries, and the leading cities of the world. But we mustn't forget that planes can't fly the great distances, no matter how fast they go, without stopping at ports where fuel, repairs, and weather information are available. And, incidentally, a few paying passengers will help. These bases, must, these bases must be developed in all parts of the world to meet the needs of a system of global air transport. It sounds simple when you say it, doesn't it? And it will be simple were it not for the fact that even at this late date, American leaders are unable to agree among themselves on the question of our international aviation policy. While they are making no headway on the issues of monopoly versus open competition, other countries are shaping up their progress for post-war international air transportation. And the bitter irony is that the stepping stones of these networks the well-equipped aerodromes built by American men with American money and material throughout the world 
from Greenland's icy mountains to India's coral strand, seem to be destined to be given away as Christmas gifts with Uncle Sam and the role of Santa Claus. It would be impossible to establish sound and workable international airways systems overnight. American public opinion at the present time, and rightfully so, is too concentrated on the winning of the war. The restoration of normal peacetime happiness, working conditions, and living conditions after the war, as well as shouldering the burden of taxes. To think deeply about our place on the airways of the world, in view of that, it is not difficult to understand the general indifference toward the future of international aviation. Shall the American people allow their elected representatives in Congress to change our 30-year-old policy of preserving honest competition between all forms of transportation and keeping aviation free from the clutches of other forms of transportation? Today, aircraft manufacturers have a $20 billion enterprise. You may not realize it, ladies and gentlemen, but that is more than four times the size of the automobile industry at its pre-war peak. Our aircraft industry is producing airplanes at the rate of approximately 9,000 per month, as well as additional aircraft engines and equipment necessary. In exactly three years, the industry has produced 150,000 airplanes. The spirit of leadership which has made this pace of production possible in the interest of victory must not be lost in the interest of peace. It will be difficult to do this under existing conditions if aircraft workers worry about how soon the floor will fall from under them and expose them to the torments of idleness. One of the main reasons for the costly labor turnover in the aviation industry is fear that the industry will collapse and jobs vanish when the war ends. To prevent this, every effort must be made by our Congress in cooperation with the aviation leaders to keep this vast industry at work by creating a post-war policy that will keep our aircraft factories operating at a steady tempo when victory is ours. This would open up a tremendous market among youngsters who are being trained and who would wish to purchase and fly their own airplanes as private owners. Such an aviation program would bring with its widespread construction activity in providing ground and airways facilities. An integral system of airports and landing strips for private owners, charter services, and training schools, distinct and apart from the first two in order to keep the airways and commercial ports clear and thus minimize the hazards. But as stated previously, plans for such a program must be developed now and by the leaders of this industry. This is no time for defeatism on the part of our aviation leadership. 
leaders who will show their colors and courage as never before. Failure through the fear of being criticized, smeared, or a loss of temporary special privilege is nothing but cowardice and un-American. Today, the American people are craving honesty and sincerity with confidence backed by courage from their business, financial, and political leaders. Their arms are open, their minds and hearts full of gratitude for those who dare to put country ahead of personal gain. I cannot help but repeat from the land of Olate News the following. We cannot bring about prosperity by discouraging thrift. We cannot strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. We cannot help small men by tearing down big men. We cannot help the poor by destroying the rich. We cannot lift the wage earner by putting down the wage payer. We cannot keep out of trouble by spending more than we earn. We cannot further the brotherhood of men by inciting class or race hatred. We cannot establish sound security on borrowed money. We cannot build character and courage by taking away man's initiative and independence. We cannot help men permanently by doing for them what they could and should do for themselves. There is a good old American axiom to the effect that the sky's the limit. No, the sky is not the limit. There is no limit to the future. Look where we were in 1844. Some say those were the good old days. Well, I'll take today, thanks, and tomorrow too. I have faith enough in the American people to feel that all the headaches, heartaches, and soul-searing agony that we as a nation must endure will pay dividends in the near future. My toast is to tomorrow. My prayer is for tomorrow. My faith is in tomorrow. This speech was given at the first annual dinner of the Wings Club at the Hotel Waldorf Astoria, New York City, on March 22, 1944, excerpts from the uh, collection that uh, was obtained over at Auburn University uh, in the Archive of Eastern History. Uh, and it seems to be very familiar today, today's story as well. Well, I've never, I've never heard that speech before, and I got to tell you, I was very, very, very impressed. Well, I was Your rendition too. of it and the speech yep. itself was tremendous. Yep, I agree. 
It really it really gets you to listen to what he's saying. You know, you're not just hearing an ordinary speech. It's giving you some heartfelt uh, information for the future. And huh, it's here, and we're experiencing it a whole lot. Sure, glad. He was the president of Eastern Airlines because it gave me uh, belief because of this man's leadership, the many years of uh, of joy that I had working for uh, for a company that uh, he speared, spearheaded for for many years. And uh, by the way, uh, have any of you? I know Chuck has, but have any of you had the pleasure of uh, seeing Captain Eddie uh, on the property way back then? I did I him with, my, with my dad. <laughs> you did with your dad? That's mine? Yeah. Yep. It is. Uh, when he used to go down, he'd see him at LaGuardia every once in a while, and uh, he was actually the one that hired my dad. So, uh, wow. so I used to see him every once in a while, and he used to say, always say, how you doing, young feller? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know Chuck sat on his lap. Right, Chuck? Yes, I- <laughs> <laughs> in Troy, uh, it was in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, John, you that had story, your Chuck. experiences, Don, didn't you? Well, I, I met him several times at the uh, airport in Miami. I was a CSR, and I'd meet him when he'd come in on the airplane and take him down to the baggage claim area, and get his bags, and put him yeah. in a limousine. <laughs> I met him at the uh, old Atlanta airport before the new terminal. Of course, we were back over there on on Virginia Avenue, uh, the old terminal over there, and he was down in flight operations, and uh, I was just in awe that I just got to see him. Definitely well, I sadly, sadly, I never met I never met him. Oh, that's I a shame. I wish I had. Well, let's see. What else do we have here? Chuck, how about uh, this new segment that we have? Uh, you can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you. Now, here's <laughs> one that, like you said, can't make this stuff up. Or can you believe this department? Audrey O'Day is accusing the American Airlines flight attendant of forcing her to take off her shirt in front of the entire airplane. On Thursday, O'Day, 35 shared the, the claim on Twitter, writing, quote, never have I flown and the, the steward treated me like a punished little child in timeout on the entire flight. The singer went on to reveal that she was allegedly told to undress because the flight attendant didn't like my shirt. O'Day wrote, he made me turn the shirt inside out in order to fly. Miss O'Day tweeted to this, what? Yeah, I was shocked. I literally had to have my breath and a bra out in the front of everyone around me in order not to get kicked off, I guess, the flight she was talking about. The girl next to me held up her blanket because she felt kind of bad for me. (laughs) Now, in our discussion phase here, sometimes you wonder if this stuff is not done to bring attention back to a celebrity otherwise faltering career. My question is, is what was on the shirt that the steward yeah. asked her to take it and turn it around? 
Yeah. So that's, I, that's I mean, it. other than something very um, outlandish, people today have all kind of things written on their shirts, and I've never seen anybody take their shirt off in an airplane. Except I have seen some old guys, now they take their shirt off just not to wear the shirt. <laughs> well, if you ever flew well, the Moonlight Special... Uh, you'd see people without shirts. I experienced that in Houston. Uh, oh, we look. You know, flying from Atlanta, and I saw one guy laying on the floor waiting to for the boarding, and uh, he didn't have a shirt on, and he had uh, flip-flops and uh, old dungarees with holes in them, and, oh, and uh, he looked like a Greyhound bus reject. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What happened? Well, yeah. who, who, anything can happen. Who yeah. was Audrey O'Day? I never heard of her. Was she a singer or something? I, I guess so. Was she? Too, yeah. but I guess a lot of us don't know, but she sure as heck made the news. Yeah. And that's what <laughs> this, they do. It, it's was this true. recently? Uh, when, when did this last happen? Week. Yeah. yeah, this is oh, last, last week. week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, maybe her career was faltering. (laughs) Well, you know, we've heard a lot of stories that way that come out on the news that uh, stars do this certain thing and publications that are are fake, if you want to call fake. There are people out there that do that sort of thing just to get notoriety. And, of course, it sounds like this one here is exactly what happened. Because uh, none of that makes any sense whatsoever. I don't think. Mike, you have another one. What's that now? Oh, I have a. Well, oh. the other thing here is the. Uh, we have another view as uh, to pilot training. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. A key lawmaker is calling on the U.S. regulators to take into consideration the skill level of pilots around the world, and not just the United States when making improvements on the Boeing. Uh, Grounded uh, 737. Uh, Representative David Price, Democrat from North Carolina, also said Wednesday that he wants assurances that the Federal Aviation Administration is reviewing its practice of delegating some work to the employees of the aircraft manufacturers. Price chairs the House subcommittee that approves the FAA funding. During the hearing before Price's panel, FAA Deputy Administrator Daniel Elwell agreed that the agency needs to consider that planes certified in the U.S. are flown, that are flown worldwide, but but said it, it's obligation to regulate only the airlines and manufacturers of the U.S. I'm sorry Price cut him off, but he said the aircraft are operating all over the world. The Boeing, Boeing is making changes to its 737 MAX after two deadly crashes. Price and... Uh, and Price said he wants the company and the FAA to consider what's, what it's going to take to operate this plane safely beyond just the United States. Pilot skills and training have emerged as a key issue in the investigations of max crashes that killed 346 people in Indonesia and Ethiopia. Some lawmakers have suggested that the accidents would not have happened in the U.S. Were, where the pilot training is often considered better. But even U.S. pilots bristled at attempts to blame the crashes 
on pilots in developing countries and preliminary accident reports highlight the role of Boeing flight control systems called MCAS that pushed the plane's nose down. Passengers who died were from many nationalities and countries, including Americans. Elwell, who was the FAA's acting administrator during two accidents, defended the agency's review on the Boeing plane. Even though the delegated view of the MCAS system to Boeing, we knew what the MCAS system was for and why it was put in place, he said. Elwell, however, repeated his review that Boeing should have told the pilots about MCAS. Most pilots didn't know about the system until after the Indonesian crash in uh, October. On other topics, Elwell also repeated the FAA's disagreement with the conclusions of, of a whistleblower office that some safety inspectors who worked on pilot training standards for the MAX were unqualified. And he disputed numerous accounts of a rift between the FAA and other regulators. And we could leave that open for discussion. How about uh, learning how to fly the aircraft manually like we should be doing? Anybody I think have you may all a Guaco airplane like yours, Mike. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a little... Can't put too many passengers in that one. <laughs> Stick in other days. This is Chuck. What I want to know is, is how come... I've talked to a couple of pilots that are flying today, and they find the older uh, 737, not the MAX ones, and they know about the two switches to shut the stabilizer uh, motor from running away. If... They know all about that from the older airplanes. Why didn't Boeing say, this is what we got? And if the airline says, we don't want to pay for it, Boeing should have said, it comes with the airplane. Why why, why wasn't that in, installed just on a regular basis instead of having uh, to pay for it? Well, Chuck, uh, Mike here, they, the switches on the old 737-200, which I flew for a while, and George, if he's on the phone, he, I think he flew the same similar thing. Uh, the switch cutout stabilizer cutout switches were the same as the 727. And Neil and, and Jim, you know what those were, uh, and they were identical. Okay. So, but this MCAS system, they changed it. So that's where the confusion comes into the picture. Okay, and even I can. That, uh, it didn't show that many airplanes. Even though in the States they might have had issues, every one of the pilots that had the same 737-800 were able to fly it and didn't have the issue. So it all goes back to how they perceive their manual training to work them, does it not? Well, we've read and we've heard before about the uh, the a lot of these international pilots are uh, they're they're somewhat low time, and their training it may be to a substandard. I mean, I've never trained internationally myself, but uh, that's where I think some of the problem lies. You know, the uh, all the U.S. carriers have been flying the Max for a while with the MCAS system in it, and I, I've spoke to one personally. And he, he he didn't have any problem with it, but maybe he didn't have the exact same circumstances that these other aircraft had. And then, of course, they grounded them all, and, and he didn't have any problem flying the airplane at all up to that point. So 
who really knows where that lies? So uh, I guess that's it's just like we said, it's open for a discussion. Chuck well, Jim Holder, you've got some. Jim Holder, you've got some uh, information about uh, how the Federal uh, Aviation Administration is uh, working to maintain flying skills. Yeah, there's a article from last week reported by Washington Rutgers. The Federal Aviation Administration is failing to ensure that airline pilots maintain their flying skills so they can safely take control of an aircraft from automated systems during a very unexpected event. And this is according to the U.S. Transportation Department report released on Monday, a couple of Mondays ago. The report by the Department's Office of Inspector General concludes that the FAA cannot determine how often pilots fly manually and has not ensured that the airline training program adequately focuses on manual skills. Airline pilots typically fly airplanes manually on landings and takeoffs. That's true. Leaving the aircraft under the control of the automatic technology 90% of the time. Well, that wasn't true back in the old days when me and Mike and you were flying. But anyhow, while automated systems have generally improved aviation safety, experts say that the practice and the growing complexity of the automated technology have raised concerns about flying skills. The National Transportation Safety Board in 2014 found that an Asiana Airlines Boeing 777 crashed and caught fire at San Francisco International Airport in 2013 because the pilot, and you might put pilots, but the pilot lacked critical skills and the flight crew relied too heavily on an automated system that it did not fully understand. The crew did not understand what they're saying. On a beautiful, clear day, the three pilots in the cockpit coming in over the water, no wind, no clouds, no nothing, managed to hit the dike well short of the runway, flew right into it. Three people died and 49 others were seriously injured in the crash. In a separate case before that, the NTSB said that 49 passengers and crew members aboard a Colgan Air Inc. Bombardier DHC 8-400 regional flight died in 2019 after the crew failed to monitor the airplane's slowing airspeed. They were getting very slow while on an instrument approach to Buffalo, Niagara International Airport in upstate New York. The crew responded incorrectly to an automated warning of an intimate stall. The airplane, now in a full stall, crashed into a residence, I recall, from something less than 2,000 feet elevation, killing everyone on board and a man on the ground in the house. Not so good. Yeah. Not good at all. Well, you know this 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 automation thing. Uh, this and this is going back quite a ways. Uh, I had a friend of mine who used to fly with uh, with Continental, and of course he he got laid off when they had the strike and all that stuff. And and when he when he eventually went back, he he ended up flying a 757 that he'd never flown a glass cockpit before. And Neil, you probably would understand this because you were on the 75. Uh, he he was doing an approach into Newark, and he used to have a habit of wanting to hand fly the approaches without coupling it up to the autopilot. 
and he actually got turned in by a co-pilot because he was using the autopilot. I mean, he was flying it by hand rather than using the uh, the automated system on it. And you know, and this goes back a lot of years. So I don't know if you ever got involved with any of that kind of stuff, but uh, this is when I first heard that. This was the beginning of the uh, this automated stuff that uh, the, the pilot skills were just deteriorating. I mean, I I flew that uh, Grumman Gulfstream for a while, which was all glass, and it took me a, a long time to adapt to it. But I was continually shutting the all of these uh, this automated stuff off because it was too much information. I wanted to narrow it down so I could focus on what I wanted to see or I'd shut it all off. Now, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's exactly the way I felt about it. Just go back to basics. Well, I don't know if they all know the basics. That's the thing. Well, you know, Dorothy, uh, I think all pilots would say the greatest uh, – part of flying period is manually landing and taking off an airplane taking off and landing i mean it to me it was i mean that was that was the the dessert of the trip and, I agreed. Uh, especially when you did it up in washington and came down the potomac river and over the 14th street bridge making a right turn to the runway one eight we've all experienced that and god what a thrill that is they were fun. <laughs> fun, man. <laughs> Grab a hold of that left bank yeah. of the river and soon as you pass the Washington Monument, throw it in the 23 bank, yeah. slide up, there you are, yeah. you're a hero. Guess the guys guys from Mayor Florida, some of those guys probably didn't agree with it, but <laughs> no, well, they were taking well, off north. That was nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, good discussion, guys. Thanks so much. Dorothy, let's move along here. Okay, let's see. Here is a poem we found in the September 1931 Eastern Air Transports newsletter, which was the news wing, written by a passenger who was on board a Curtis Condor, and it's called Air Minded. I was all keyed up on flying, so I planned to take a trip. I went to Newark Airport and got aboard a ship. It was a Curtis Condor of Eastern Air Transport Line, and I was sitting by a window where I could see just fine. We taxied to the runway, the motors got the gas, and then with a pretty takeoff, we were in the air at last. I looked out on the scenery, which passed along below. Everything was so beautiful, and boy, how we did go. Then I looked about the cabin to see what was doing there and see how all the passengers were taking to the air. There was one compartment where you could have smoke and talk with fellow passengers or even tell a joke. And in the next compartment, the hostess walked about, She was nice and sociable and gave refreshments out. Then there was a party who liked to play at cards, so she set up a table and filled in cars of ours. Soon we reached Camden, where the condor was to land. It made a circle in the glide, 
and gently touched the sand. There were a few passengers who were going to alight with smiles upon their faces, for they sure enjoyed the flight. The porter took the baggage and some mailbags checked for there. Then again with some new passengers, we climbed into the air. Swiftly, we flew to Baltimore, where we made another stop, then on again to Washington, where I finished my first hop. The modern way of travel, I'll say, is surely swell. And when I meet with some people, the trip to them, I'll tell. The kind and courteous service of the personnel was fine, and when again I travel, twill be on Eastern Air Transport Line. Title of the poem is Air Minded by Albert Olson of Elizabeth, New Jersey, September 1931. And we'd like to thank Albert for such a beautiful poem. I'm sure you all enjoyed it. I know I did. Mike? Very nice. Very good. Yeah, Very great. well read, too. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, and we're always interested in what's happening with Eastern Airlines 3. And to bring us up the latest news, we'll turn you over to Mark Porter. Mark, what's going on with the New Eastern? Hey, good evening there. Well, I'd like to start off um, with a conflict in Guyana with American Airlines. <laughs> American Airlines seems to uh, have struck a deal with Exxon and the Guyanese government. So Exxon pays Eastern to fly its executives to Guyana, so all their flights are paid for, and the Guyanese government cuts American $49 landing fees, where everyone else has to pay $450. Oh, my. It just seems outright wrong, and I think the Department of Transportation should look over American, American certificate slots flying from JFK, Newark, and Philadelphia that they're applying for to Guyana and revoke it, allowing it to be for JetBlue and Eastern, making the competition a little more even. I just don't think uh, what really gets under my skin here is anytime Eastern, Braniff, or Pan Am stepped out of line, the Department of Transportation would pull some of their uh, things like Panagra or anything like this and say that, they have too much of a monopoly. But now the Department of Transportation is just not worried about American or United or Delta having a monopoly over American citizens or foreign citizens because if American gets this monopoly on Guyana, the ticket prices will go from the current $600 to $1,200. I've already noticed that Caribbean Airlines will stop non-stop service to Guyana from JFK coming in February. And that has partly to do with American Airlines non-stop service that begins in December. You can't compete with that, and that's just not right. Well, I thought they had laws against that. It's just, is that just in the United States, so that's why it doesn't... Right. I think the part that really uh, irks me is that Exxon, um, American would not have flown to Guyana unless an oil company, remember these are two Texas boys, came in and said, look, we want you to get our executives down there and we'll pay for you to fly down there 
paying $5,000 an executive seat. Now, that's a lot of money. So an American is guaranteed money by Exxon and Mobil. And then since they're drilling in um, Guyana, Guyana is so thrilled at having American, they offer American $49 landing fees. Mm. It's just not right. And the Department yeah. of Transportation, if you're listening, you ought to sit up and you ought to revoke <laughs> American Airlines certificate on the slots from New York. All right. At Eastern, Great. At Eastern um, they announced this past week that um, your bags fly free. They're going to have the most legroom in the skies. And um, you get to order your own meal. This is something I've been thinking of for quite a while. Um, I don't know if they're going to be putting it on the website to show you the meal. Um, I had thought that the airline could show you and let you pay for it. But Eastern's going to pick that, pick that up and just let you order what you want. And they'll show you probably 10 dinners and let you order the 10 dinners. Which one? Oh. Um, like a flying kitchen. Flying wide bodies, as you know. And uh, well, American Mark. flies narrow bodies, as does JetBlue. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm just on a six-hour flight. I don't want to be on a narrow body. <laughs> you know, Mark, I think uh, maybe Eastern ought to get a A380 where they have a double deck. And on the top deck, uh, maybe an elevator or an escalator going up. And a buffet served uh, with a line so you can get whatever food you want and uh, have the whole upper deck, nothing but a restaurant. Yeah, that's <laughs> a pretty cool kitchen. <laughs> you know, yeah, we did yeah, a I show. Know, I, know that, I know that John has already bought two 747s, and yeah. I assume he's doing cargo with those, but he did buy passenger 747s. Um, yeah. And it would have been more convenient to buy cargo 747 if you were going cargo with them. So who knows? He might be going passenger with the 747s. Yeah. Well, we did a show back uh, in the early years of the radio show where we designed an A380, and uh, we had uh, three decks. It was a three-decker. It was, uh, I think we call it the A390. And uh, mm-hmm. and we had we had passengers and we had shops we had duty free <laughs> and you went up an escalator and you were in uh, another area of the airplane and we had fun doing that show it was really no frill seating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, anything else Dorothy. Well, I mean, I can give you our shows for next week, our programs coming up. We have uh, episode 432, uh, Malaysia Flight MH370 Mystery, followed by The History of Time, which is proven to be a very interesting show that we're going to do. And, of course, every week we now have our history, uh, Eastern Airlines and Music and History which last week we had Barbara Streisand, which was fabulous. And this week we're going to have 
song that we uh, remember hearing, The Coal Miner's Daughter and Miss Loretta Lynn. So you should uh, take the time and stop and wind down. And on Thursday, tune us in at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time and listen to some of these shows. The music, along with the Eastern history at that time, is excellent. It's really a good show to listen to. And, of course, folks, we have it all on our website. We have areas on there that you folks should just take a little time, peruse them, and go through what we have listed down in there. There's a calendar that lists events for those that we hear from and know about, and anyone that wants to uh, let us know when their uh, Eastern affair is going on, we'll be happy to put that on our website as well. Just send us an email at host at com, and we'll be sure to uh, uh, let you know what we can do for you, and we'll post it and announce it. So uh, please think about the Eastern Airlines website and our show for your Eastern needs, because once Eastern Airlines uh, era goes out at the end of the year, we're going to be around to at least be there to remind everyone of some of the Eastern memories. Uh, Neil, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Uh, no. Uh, that was very good, Dorothy. And, uh, yeah, we can uh, certainly fill in uh, the uh, absence of uh, a great newsletter that has been coming out over the years. Yeah, we're it's really been, sorry to see uh, that. Uh, Dorothy, you were the editor of it for a while. Yeah, and, I really uh, feel bad about newsletter. that. Because everybody looks forward to that. Uh, it was every month, and then it went to every two. But, you know, uh, when you don't have that, uh, you feel like you've lost a part of the Eastern Airlines family. And uh, we really would like to see more of that around. So we're hoping that yeah. somehow, some way, that'll, that'll change. Well, Jim Holder uh, put a report in the... Um uh, the EARA kit keeping in touch newspaper for years and the silver liners ran theirs. Uh, Jim, you have a report, I think, on the Silver Falcons. Uh, how is the convention in Auburn? Yeah, the Silver Falcons. Uh, for those who don't know, the Silver Falcons was a group that was formed after the strike and it consisted of uh, pilots who honored the picket line and uh, pretty much uh, formed their own group. Uh, I was on the original board of directors for the Silver Falcons, and later on, I, for some reason, I don't know why, I ended up being the first guy to be president of the Silver Falcons and repo. So I have my foot in both groups. Now, Carrie and I attended the Silver Falcon convention in Auburn several weeks ago. It was very large and very nice. Auburn Marriott Apaleka Resort and Spa at the Grand National Golf Course at the end of the Robert Brent Trail. And believe me, what I just read is the name of it. I'll do it again. The Auburn <laughs> Marriott Apaleka Resort and Spa at the Grand National Golf Course at the end of the Robert Brent <laughs> Jones Trail. It's long title, and, buddy, it's way out in the woods. 
Now, it was well attended, and just about all the guys and a few ladies went on a tour of the Auburn Flight Center at the second day. As it was getting started, I reminded the 30 or so folks on the tour uh, for the Eastern Pilots that they had contributed so much to the Flight Center over the years that the fund was now sustaining, as Neil would know. In other words, even no more contributions come, there would all be enough from the Eastern Pilots for more scholarship. The guy who was conducting the tour, Dr. James Birdsong, he's the Flight Center Program Coordinator and Lecturer, who was conducting the tour, thanked me for reminding him about it. I mean, he looked like, man, I'm glad you just mentioned this because here, here are all these Eastern Pilots and he'd like to talk about the fun a little bit. And he made some very complimentary remarks about it. And he and two young ladies later on uh, enrolled in the aviation program later on the next night with guest speakers at the banquet. Now, listen to this. At the business meeting the next day, the members approved the plan to shut down the Silver Fountain. Silver Fountain's been around since uh, I was on the first board, so I guess it was somewhere in the vicinity of, of uh, Lord, I don't know, a long time ago. It's right after the strike. Uh, and But their goal is to return as much of the funds in the bank, and I'm not sure exactly how much it is because I'm not the leadership of the board, but I think it's in excess of $20,000 after the Auburn Convention as possible to the members. So to do this, as done in the past few years, the Silver Falcons have a pre-convention dinner for all of the attendees at Auburn, and it will be that way for the next one next year. But we had to pay five drinks. Now, there will be the same pre-convention dinner for the 2020, and they're calling it the Sunset Convention, meaning our last one, most likely in September, and in Savannah. And also, there will be no convention charge for the members attending, the member plus one person, spouse or friend. No one will be allowed to be taken in now for obvious reasons, and there will not be any dues for the Silver Falcons in 2020. So by the end of 2020, the Silver Falcons will be history. There was a long and fun-filled time for many Eastern pilots and their family, and I know because I was very active in it. And I hate to see it happen, but that's just the way things. Time marches on. Well, Jim. Hey, that is um, well, Jim. You know, you said something about the uh, scholarship uh, fund uh, we have set up there at Auburn, and uh, right, uh, we got yeah. a call and, because you had talked to someone at the convention about, uh, or they had asked about uh, the scholarship, and you told them to contact me, and uh, it, and he did. And, and uh, that's, that's correct. Folks, that's correct. Yeah, a lot of folks think that the scholarship would be available to Eastern, uh, favored toward Eastern uh, grandchildren and, and children, but that's not the case. It, the case is that it's only open to uh, juniors that are majoring in aviation, either business or aerospace engineering or our professional pilot training at the airport there. And it's available in their junior year and senior year. So we felt like that uh, we, we, we would not give 
uh, a sophomore the uh, scholarship or it wouldn't be available to a sophomore because the next year they could change their uh, their major and so we kept it to the junior year and of course this person's uh, a family member was a sophomore so uh, I told him to go ahead and and fill out the application for it and um, perhaps uh, you know it would be available for them but we give two of them out a year and uh, get a good report and feedback and as you say uh, Jim, it is uh, in perpetuity now. That's a hard word to say for me, but uh, it'll be there long after we're gone, and Eastern's name will be there. A lot of folks don't know, but a lot of East, uh, Eastern history is archived there at Auburn. And um, uh, the Professor Davis, I think I forgot his first name, uh, wrote the book on um, Eastern Airlines, history of Eastern Airlines. And he had Eddie Rickenbacker's uh, wooden uh, desk that he had at uh, Ten Rock Center when he was there. And uh, he had purchased it. I don't know if I forgot how he came about it. But that was his desk. And interesting that uh, Eastern does have um, name recognition there on the campus, I guess. And um, But the Eastern Palace made that available. So we're real happy that uh, it is there and it just keeps the name of Eastern for a long, long time to come. Thanks, Jim. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, how about uh, we have any new new members, Dorothy? Uh, we don't at this time, but we have 1,027, um, although um, I'm not sure I even got to mention that last week. Um we had a Paula from the Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I don't think I did mention it where we missed the show because of, of the transmission problem. Uh, Paula worked from June of 1969 to May of 1970 in Miami, and she's from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I think I mentioned that. Uh, so we do want to welcome her, and now we're at 1,028. So I'm really happy about that. And as I said, we extend our membership to any of the Eastern uh, people that would like to join us. All they have to do is go to the website, host at EALradioshow.com, and sign in, and we'll be glad to uh, look at your application and check you in. And, of course, we always want to thank our sponsor, the Retired Eastern Pilot Association, for all they do, as well as any of our members who have donated as a sponsor to our program. And uh, those sponsors are listed up on our homepage on the website under Sponsors tab. We like to issue all of those from any time that we've had them. They're all up there. So you can see who has generously uh, wanted our program to continue on the air. Remember, donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many, and uh, that's free with this $40 donation. So that's still a pretty nice thing that Neil does to uh, be able to send his book and no one has to pay for it but himself. So. His donation to our program is greatly appreciated. Uh, so we're hoping that it comes to fruition that with all of you folks helping us the way we do, 
and our sponsor, Reba, um, uh, we're able to do all of this for you each and every week and also our Thursday program now. So, um, folks, just keep in mind that's what we're here for. We have the show for and about Eastern Airlines. Neil? Well, guys, it's been great. A great show. It's a little bit of everything there. And I call it a, the Garden of Aviation is what we did tonight. That's what I kind of thought about uh, the potpourri. And I have to look the spelling of that word up. I could never spell that word. <laughs> I have a hard time pronouncing it. O-U-R-R-I, potpourri. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to put the airplane on the ground and listen to this beautiful song as our sign-off music tonight. And so let's land uh, flight 431 and turn it over to Chuck in just a second. Gear down. Chuck's yours. Great landing, Captain. Be sure to tune in again next week, Monday, October 14th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyberwaves. And the radio show takes us to the point that will keep you informed and entertained. This is Chuck Albright signing off on behalf of our host and producer, Dorothy Gagong, Don Gagong, Mike Scott, and our producer, Neil Holland, and myself, Chuck Albright. Playing sign-off music heard early in the program, Silver Wings by Merle Haggard. Mr. Producer... Silver wings shining in the sunlight, roaring engines headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away and leaving me lonely. Fading out of sight Don't leave me I cry Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver Somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight
Bye.